Welcome to Of Slippers and Spindles. I'm Drew. And I'm Cassie. This is a podcast all about fairy tales and fairy tale retellings. Each month we choose a different tale and discuss books, movies, and other media based on that story. In today's episode, we will wrap up our final thoughts on Aladdin and then introduce our next story, which will be a return, our first time returning to a tale we've done before, as we return to Cinderella. We would like to thank our patron and dear friend of the podcast, Bethany with an IE, for sponsoring this episode. Thank you, Bethany. Thank you, Bethany. We appreciate you. We do. We really, really do. How are you, Cassie? I am doing okay. (laughs) Hey, that's my line. (laughs) I've Um, exposed myself with that now. My sister called me out on using it on her. (laughs) (laughs) My uh, theater group is hosting a big, big, big fundraising event in two weeks. And so I am very deep into planning for that and um, the stress that's involved in planning for that. Mm. Uh, But it's going to be a good, fun event. Good, good. Sounds good. Ask me how I am. How are you, Drew? I'm great. I got back from New York and I saw Into the Woods twice this week. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. And I'm very happy for you. I also saw Little Shop of Horrors, which was amazing. I was on the second row for Little Shop, which was incredible. Then I saw Into the Woods on the third row. And then I saw it from a little further back. I did like seeing it further back because you could really see everything. It was so amazing, Cassie. Yeah. I thought about, I don't know if this would be interesting to you or to the listeners, but I thought maybe if people are interested in hearing about like some of the tweaks and changes and choices they made, we could do a bonus episode on that. Like I could just sit here and like answer questions and tell you about it. So if listeners are interested in that, let us know. If no one's interested, we won't do it. That's totally fine. <laughs> I will not be offended. But if if there are people out there who are like, who know they're not going to get to New York and they have questions about it, you know, let me know. I can uh, see if I can help answer some of, some of those. I'm I'm one of those people, so. You have questions? I mean, regardless, you and I are going to chat about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a question of whether or not we do it while recording. While recording, yeah, we could. So if people want to know, let us know if you would be interested in that. I am legitimately very happy that you got to go doing those things. I'm also very jealous. Both of those things can be true at the same time. It was it was pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. But this is not Into the Woods Month. It's not. That was a few months ago. That was a while back. This is an episode to talk about a fairy tale that's not in Into the Woods at all. And one that is. That's right. That's right. This is a great transition. This is going really well. Um, thank you. Let's, thank you. I try. Let's wrap up uh, Aladdin, shall we? Let's wrap up Aladdin. Let me pull up the notes that I have on this. I don't have a lot to say about Aladdin at the end of this month. Um, and I know that you don't have a lot either. I don't. Um, I was thinking about this a little bit and about how this is really the first like non-Eurocentric fairy tale that we've looked at. Yes. And I wish that there were more non-Eurocentric voices telling this story. Yeah, the truth is that there are quite a few Aladdin retellings out there that we could have chosen from. And we felt very frustrated by the fact that at least as far as like English speaking retellings that are accessible for us, it's a lot of white people retelling the story. Yeah, and I mentioned earlier in an episode this month that we're going to have to tweak our our typical question for this Mm -hmm. wrap up because normally we say 
how would you retell this story? Have you, you know, done any sort of rewriting with it? And I don't think either of us should no. uh, be a voice that retells this story because it's not our story to tell. And I haven't put Aladdin into any of my stories. I think the closest I've come is in my big fairy tale mashup. I do have Scheherazade as a character, but very clearly stated that she comes from a different land of stories. Right. And that's not even Aladdin. I mean, Aladdin is within right. Scheherazade. In a very early draft of the big fairy tale mashup novel, Aladdin was going to be one of the characters. I mean, I think that would be fine. You know, like I think if you're a white author and you're putting in a bunch of fairy tale characters and Aladdin's in there, to me, you know, I think that's okay. Maybe other people feel differently and that's valid, but it's when you're really retelling Aladdin because yes. for you, you're not telling the story right as it typically plays out. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. I did have one thought yeah. um, before we get to our ideas of how the story could be retold by others, um, which is that in the episode where we talked about Happily Ever After Fairy Tales for Every Child, which was our first Aladdin retelling of the month. I was frustrated because Aladdin did not tell the princess the truth, right? right? He was exposed by the magician. And come to find out, that's how everybody does it. <laughs> that's how Disney did it. That's even how uh, Jessica Corey did it. He's always exposed by someone else. I think that's still interesting because I think it's still interesting that the truth comes out at all. Because in the fairy tale, there is no indication that Aladdin ever tells the princess the truth but i think it's it's interesting that that's the pattern is to not have aladdin be the one to tell her i think the question is one of intentions because in fairy tales for every child he was going to tell her the truth and then he's like no i'm not going to so he was like was planning to keep the secret whereas in disney in jessica corey's a little bit in jessica corey's but in disney specifically his intention is to tell Jasmine the truth, is to come clean. Right. But he is exposed before he has a chance to do that, once he's made up his mind to do that. Yeah, I agree with you. I just thought it was interesting. Like, I really strongly felt in that episode when we were talking about it, I was like, Aladdin should tell the princess the truth. He should be the one. And then I was like, oh, wait, he's never the one. <laughs> right. Yeah. Nobody does that. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily like something that makes or breaks it. I do think that if you're specifically telling the story for little children, like I would lean toward Aladdin telling the truth himself. Yeah, I agree. So is that an element that you would like to see in a retelling of this? I mean, I think it's an element I would like to see, but it's not something that I would expect a retelling to hinge itself upon. That's fair. Yeah. So do you have a version of this story or a way that you would like to see this story retold that we didn't see in our Aladdin adaptations this month? So I have two thoughts on this. The first is that I would like to see the romance between Aladdin and the genie told as a queer romance. I think keeping the genie as a male and telling that story I think would be really interesting Although, I don't know if you could ever do that genie Aladdin romance storyline and ever come close to how thoughtfully told the Forbidden Wish was. I just think mm -hmm. that it is 
a very carefully crafted world, a very carefully crafted plot. I loved everything about it. So I'm like, ah, do I need to see Aladdin and the genie fall in love again? I don't, I don't know that I do because it was really, really good the first time I read it. So although I'm interested in that romance, I, I'm like, I don't know if you could ever top what Jessica Corey did. And then the other thought I had was for someone to explore and explain the make me a prince wish that we complained about and the idea that, you know, Aladdin wishes for the genie to make him a prince, but all he ever really gets is a change of clothes and maybe a parade. I would like to see someone show the genie actually grant that wish correctly and properly. Or like make me a prince he marries the princess everything's like fine and dandy and then a messenger comes from this kingdom going we've searched far and wide for you all of these other people in line for your throne have died and now you have to go take up the throne of this place that you've never been to before (laughs) i think i think there's interesting potential in that yeah yes yes that's all i really had no big like grand ideas just some things i would like to see explored in a retelling. What about you? Do you have any Aladdin ideas you'd like to see someone explore? I do. So if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you will know that my favorite storytelling trope is anonymous pen pals. Mm-hmm. And I think anytime you have a story where there is a question of identity, where there is some kind of mystery identity going on, that story has the potential for anonymous pen pals. And I would love to see somebody tackle an Aladdin like modernization with that element incorporated into it. I'm down for that. Because again, it's my favorite. That and fairy tale retellings are two of my favorite tropes. And they have overlapped a handful of times, but every single time has been Cinderella. Uh-huh. <laughs> I can think of four. We could do an entire month. <laughs> That it was literally just Cinderella anonymous pen pal retellings. And I would just really love to see somebody take on that trope with a different fairy tale. I get it because Cinderella lends itself to it very well. Again, the question of identity. But Aladdin also has that question of identity. Yeah. And so I think that there's some interesting potential there. I would read it. (laughs) Fantastic. So somebody who's not white should go write it. Yes, someone whose cultural background is relevant to Aladdin should should write this. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I have on Aladdin. Same. I don't have a lot else to say. I think this is an interesting story. I think it's interesting to see what's been done to it. I had it in my head that the Disney version was a lot farther off from the original text than it actually is. It's actually a lot closer than I was envisioning. I agree with you. I was surprised to see how much closer it was than I expected. I think we have in our heads just that like Disney changes the story. And so we expect it to just not be close at all. And then when you I actually mean, sit down and, and you know go through this practice of reading the story so closely to watching the movie, it can be surprising how many elements are actually still there. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Well, that's Aladdin. That's Aladdin. And now we're moving on to Cinderella round two. Yes. So So, let's start here. Let's start with why we are returning to Cinderella. Because two years ago, first of all, happy almost two years. Happy almost two years. Can you believe? That's so crazy. But we started with Cinderella two years ago because- Mm -hmm. 
Uh, many of the reasons that we started with Cinderella are the reasons that we're coming back to Cinderella, right? Yeah. So, first of all, there are so many freaking retellings of this story that we picked five last time. Five beloved, adored, really well-known. But there are so many others that are also beloved and adored maybe not as well-known, some that are as well-known, that we just felt like we barely even scratched the surface with Cinderella retellings. Yeah, so there's just so many of them out there. This is easily the most frequently retold story, and it is one of the most prolific stories that exists in the world. But Mm -hmm. I want to talk about that a little bit because I've been thinking about this. One of the things we're like, what do we do for our intro episode when we've already done an intro episode into uh, Cinderella? And one of the things we decided on was we're going to talk about some cultural variations of the story. Right. And that got me thinking about, is Cinderella actually the most culturally prolific fairy tale, folk tale? Or do we just... Are we just more willing to take stories that are vaguely similar and say, oh, that's a Cinderella story and like collect Mm. them? So the broad question for any piece of adaptive literature that you're looking at, for me at least, this is where my like I'm a folklorist and another version of the multiverse comes out. How much of a story has to be present for us to A, recognize it as a retelling attempt? And B, accept it as a retelling attempt. And how do those parameters shift if we're talking about cultural variations? Right. And I think it's really interesting, especially because we do approach this question in such a Eurocentric way. Like, despite the fact that variations of the story from other cultures predate Perot and Grimm significantly, we still refer to them as the Chinese Cinderella. Mm-hmm. Even though that story was around and yeah. being recorded, it was way Chinese before. long before it was French. It should be, oh, this is the French Yishin. Yeah. As opposed to <laughs> the Chinese Cinderella. So, are we using Cinderella purely as like a familiar touchstone, a point of reference? Like, well, I think that it is largely because the French and German Cinderellas were the two that were, like, the first to be written down and then distributed in a significant way. Yeah. Right? But I think this is a really interesting, kind of fascinating question, is if you boil Cinderella down to, like, its essentials and then see how many of these cultural variations actually fit into those essentials, you've got a central character who's in reduced circumstances, who is given an opportunity to briefly escape their life. They come into contact with a person in a position of power. They must leave suddenly with their identity still a mystery, and the person in power uses an item left behind to identify and then elevate that central figure. Like, that's bare bones, that Cinderella. But that doesn't even cover some of the variations that we call Cinderella variations. Like, there are some versions of the story <laughs> that that I'm thinking about, like the Algonquin version, the rough-faced girl, that yes. we call that like a Native American Cinderella, but it doesn't... It That is literally just there's reduced circumstances, there's a question of identity, like she has to solve somebody's identity, and then she's elevated to a higher status. Yeah, I don't know if the rough-faced girl counts as Cinderella. Right, but it is so often presented as, here is a Cinderella story. Yeah, you're right. And I think it's it's just because we've kind of indoctrinated ourselves, honestly, 
to take any story that's about somebody who's in reduced circumstances and eventually gets elevated out of them to be like, oh, that's a real Cinderella story. Like, I think you're right. That's a phrase. I think you're and right. And it's just interesting, like, okay, but hold on. Does that actually fit mm-hmm. the the blueprint of this story? So all of this being said, we decided that we didn't need to recap the French and German Perot and Grimm versions of Cinderella because we did that for you in our second episode back in 2020. And you can so, go back and listen to that one. Yeah, if you would like to hear us talk about those versions of the story... That's out there for you to listen to already. So instead, we thought it would be fun to look at three other cultural retellings, or retellings, not retellings really, cultural versions of the story. And so we picked three. And here are the three that we picked. So I think that many people are under the belief that the quote-unquote original or oldest Cinderella is the Chinese Cinderella. And so we are going to talk about the Chinese Cinderella However, there's one that is definitely older, and oh, Cassie's making kind a of. face. There's some controversy that I have notes about. Okay, okay. Well, we'll get to that, but... We'll get to it, yeah. There is one that is known to be older, or is allegedly older. I don't know what this controversy is, but the Greek-slash-Egyptian Cinderella, whose name is... Oh, and let me just give an umbrella apology for all of our pronunciations of all of the names that we are going to bring up in this episode. We are going to do our best. I tried to look up how to pronounce some things, but we're going to mess them up. So the Greek slash Egyptian one, and we'll talk about which one of those it truly is, is Rhodopis. Rhodopis. And so we're going to talk about Rhodopis. We're going to talk about Yeshen, who is the Cinderella from China. And then we're going to talk about... Vasilisa the Beautiful, who is from Russia. And I, I want to apologize because I was like, yeah, let's do Vasilisa, Drew. You and I have history with Vasilisa. And that was before I sat down to read it and remembered how freaking long it is. It's very long. <laughs> it's so long. Um, So <sighs> we will give maybe a slightly abridged version of Vasilisa. Especially because of the three that we're going to look at, that one fits into the Cinderella benchmarks the least. Yes. <laughs> I think Vasilisa like is like the rough face girl where Yeah, it's like I'm not she sure. She barely this is qualifies. Cinderella. I think she can slip in there, but barely. But it's a story that you and I both have like emotional attachment to. So yes. we wanted to do it. So we're gonna do it. One hundred percent. But first off, let's talk about this Greek Let's talk about this Greek-Egyptian hybrid story of yes. Rhodopis. The story you will read that claims to be the oldest Cinderella, mm-hmm. set down in 350 CE, tells the story of a maiden from Greece who was kidnapped by pirates and sold into slavery in Egypt. Yeah. Well, I it, 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 ah, it drives me crazy that anybody calls this the Egyptian Cinderella. I think you only need to read that first line to like clearly see that this is a Greek Cinderella that someone set in Egypt. Right. And that's part of this controversy. Like this this kind of article came out a few years ago where it's like, we're debunking, but da da. And I think everybody involved in that needs to take a step back and just chill for a little bit. <laughs> um, because they're getting way too riled up about things that aren't actually that important. There is no version of this story that exists in any recorded Egyptian history or mythology or folklore of any kind like this is not at its core an egyptian story 
This story was first recorded and set down by a Greek historian named Strabo, Strabo, and it was very brief. It was like yeah. a, just a, a mention. And then later it got expanded, which is oral tradition. Like that's what it is. Mm-hmm. You're telling a story around a campfire. You don't want to just read this tiny paragraph that this historian actually wrote. You're going to embellish it. You're going to change details of it to suit the audience that you're telling the story to. That's what oral tradition is. Right. And so as everybody's like, we're debunking that this is the oldest. I was like, you don't need to debunk anything. Like, that's not how folklore works. No. Like. No. No, it's not an ancient Egyptian story by any means. Yes, it's been embellished from what was recorded by this historian. But the elements of it that we call a Cinderella story are still there. Right. And so all of that being said, like, even as you and I are about to tell it or, you know, work our way through the story, we may have read slightly different versions from each other. You, the listener, may have read slightly different versions because, as you just said, like, this particular version of the story is literally over 2,000 years old. There's no way that we can possibly know exactly which elements were there then, what's been added, by who, and when, but we do have at least a vague idea of how the story may have been told then. Yeah, if you're at all interested in this quote-unquote controversy, debunking, whatever, there's a YouTube video that you can watch um, that goes into fairly comprehensive detail. But regardless, when you hear, like, here's the story of Rodopis, it is a Greek maiden who was kidnapped by pirates and sold into slavery in Egypt, where she is ridiculed by the other servants because she is... Uh, white because of her different appearance her pale skin and her yellow hair and her green eyes yes fortunately her master is very kind to her which is an interesting depiction of slavery that i don't necessarily agree with in any way whatsoever but whatever we're going with it he sees her dancing by the river and takes a special interest in her and says i'm gonna get you these special red rose-colored shoes made for you, which only, of course, increases the teasing and abuse she receives from the other servants. Yeah, so a visiting pharaoh is throwing a festival, and the other servant girls give Rhodopis all of their chores so that she cannot go to the festival. And she's very sad, and she sings a lament about it. She's also made friends with all the animals in true Disney princess fashion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, her friend, the hippo, gets her shoes all wet so that she has to take them off so that they dry in the sun as she does the rest of her chores. Yes, and as they are drying, a hawk snatches one of these shoes up and takes it to the pharaoh. And it is speculated that this hawk is actually the god Horus. Right, and so the pharaoh says, Horus has clearly designated the woman who owns the slipper to be my bride, therefore I must find her and wed her. And so he does, he searches through the land, he eventually finds Rodopis. He says, I'm going to marry this one. And everybody's like, you can't, she's not even Egyptian. And oh my then- gosh, this last part is, <laughs> if you didn't know that this was Greek, a Greek story set in Egypt, this last line is going to give it away for you, okay? Yeah. This is not a story from Egypt. No, no, no. He goes, she is the most Egyptian of all of us because she has eyes as green as the Nile and hair as feathery as papyrus and skin as pink as a lotus flower. Yeah. uh, (laughs) I would be really interested to know when that line entered this story. It's not from Strabo. I'm going to tell you that much. 
No. Like, at what point was this added? Like, when it was translated into English, was this added long before that? I don't. I don't know. I would be interested to know, but. This is a hard one to track. Yeah. So this the historian who first wrote about Rodopis has a brief account. She's a courtesan in that version. Her shoe is snatched by a bird. It's delivered to a pharaoh. And he marries the maiden it belongs to. And then they're like, and that's the story of this wife of the pharaoh who got the smallest pyramid of Giza. Like, that's kind of where, where the account comes from. But all right. of the elements, like the mean servants and... The, like, finding the identity by the shoe itself, like, things that are more Cinderella-esque were added later by later translators and later recorders of the story. Yeah, but we just don't know who or what or when, because these are oral traditions. Now, as I said, I think many people are under the impression that the quote-unquote original Cinderella is from China. Yixian is the name of the Chinese Cinderella, she was first written about around 850 AD, so several hundred years after Rhodopis. I think, though, some of these story elements from the Chinese version of this story greatly inform the version of the story that we have today, yeah. which we'll get into as we go through here. I'd agree so, with that for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so starting right off the bat is that Yeshien is, well, okay, again, like the previous one, it's hard to know, like, how many of these specific story elements are from that long ago and what has been added ever since. But as we know it today, Yeshien is the daughter of a chief whose name is Wu, and Wu has two wives and one daughter by each wife. So I think, like, right away, this element of the stepmother is clearly influenced by, like, this ancient Chinese culture. because. Yashen's mother dies, and she is left in the custody of her stepmother, who is not her biggest fan, and so she gives all of her hard work that her daughter should be doing to Yashen. Yeah, and then Yashen's father dies, and so she's purely in the custody of this woman who doesn't like her. She goes to draw water from the well at one point, and she catches a small fish, and she feeds that fish and cares for that fish and keeps moving it to bigger vessels as it grows. And eventually it's too big for any of the vessels, so she puts it into the pond in the back of the house. But she continues to feed it. She continues to talk to it. The fish is her friend. And her stepmother is angered by the fact that her stepdaughter has a friend who won't appear for anybody else. He'll only come to the surface for Yeshen. Right. And so the stepmother disguises herself as Yeshen and lures the fish to the surface and kills it. And again... I think the implication is that the fish is either reincarnated from Yeshen's true mother, or at least was sent to her by her mother, which, you know, as you look at the birds in the tree in Grimm's version and the fairy godmother, like, they are often sent to the Cinderella figure from her birth mother. Yeah. And so the stepmother buries the bones. And while Yeshen is grieving the fish, a man descends from heaven to tell her. <laughs> I forgot about this part until I um, read it. To tell her, hey, today. don't be sad. Go get the fish bones. This is where they are. Take them to your room. And these bones are magic and they will give you things that you wish for. And so she takes them and she wishes and she gets food and she gets clothes and 
She hides it all from her stepmother. Mm -hmm. And then there's a festival because there's always a festival in these stories. We (laughs) have to go to the festival. Have to go to the festival. And stepmother and stepsister um, forbid her to go, of course, but she takes the finery that she's gotten from the fish bones and she dresses up and she goes to the festival. I do appreciate that the stepsister sees her and is like, hey, yes. I think that's Yeshen. And the stepmother's like, mm, you're right, that does look like Yeshen. And Yeshen's like, oh, time to bounce. Yes, yes. So interestingly, at least in one of the versions I read today, the festival is like specifically designated for people to be looking for spouses. So it's not, the prince isn't there. The prince figure is not even at this festival. But everybody else is looking for like a husband and a wife. And so since the prince isn't there and there's no midnight thing, like you said, Yishen has to run because the stepmother and stepsister recognize her. Because it is her. She's just wearing different clothes. <laughs> and the audience gives you a standing ovation, Princess that Jasmine. Marvelous connection. So she flees. In the process of fleeing, she leaves one of her shoes behind. And the shoe eventually makes its way to the king, who is interested in it initially because it is magical. It is a magical shoe. Yes, yes. So specifically, a merchant finds the shoe and sells it to the king. And so, I thought that was really, you know, so it's, it's a, a major departure. There's, It's an awkward journey that the shoe takes to get to the Yeah. The yeah, because it's one thing for, like, the god Horus to take your shoe because he is going to take it to your future spouse as, like, a sign of destiny or whatever. But this is, like, a merchant just happened to find it and just happened to give it to the king. It's a little more coincidental mm-hmm. than we typically see. And so the king is fascinated by the shoe because it's magical. So he wants to find the owner of the shoe so that he kind of knows how it came into being. This is another element of Chinese culture that I think is really interesting. The concept of small feet being Mm -hmm. an indicator of beauty and how that will eventually make its way through the histories of Cinderella stories. Yeah, I think that's probably the biggest influence that I notice in reading this story is that in, in Chinese practice and history, it makes sense for this shoe won't fit anybody else. It's too small for anybody else. Like that makes her the most beautiful, like according to their, you know, the beliefs that they held. So that element makes a little bit more sense when put into this kind of cultural setting than it does in a more Eurocentric setting. Right, right. Which I do think it's interesting that this Greek version is older, but still uses that element. Yeah. So in the version that you read, did you find that the shoe was magical to the point that it changes its size as people are trying it on? Um, That was not the interpretation I walked away with. Yeah. So I read, I, I found two different texts of this online. I'd read them both. And one of them did not say this, but one of them said that the shoe was magical and it was always an inch shorter than the foot that was presented. So I thought it was interesting. This is something that's in our criteria for Cinderella is to explain why the shoe only fits her. And that was in this particular translation that I found. Yeah. So ultimately, we go through the shoe hunt again. Yeshen is found in possession of the other shoe and the golden clothing that she wore. But the king is doubtful that that she is the owner of the shoe because she comes from a poor mountain town. 
Uh, but then she presents herself dressed in, in the clothing and the shoes. And he's like, oh, yes, of course, you must be the owner of the shoe. And so he marries her. And the stepmother and the stepsister are killed by flying stones. Yeah, I found a couple different versions. Uh, one where they were, uh, they begged for forgiveness. But yeah, killed it by seems flying that more stones. often there was a shower of stones that killed them. And in the version I read, the festival was held by the cave people is how they were referred to. Yes. And the cave people buried the stepmother and the stepsister in under a bunch of stones in their cave. And they called that the, oh gosh, what did they, the tomb of women's regret or something like that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's also another alternate ending that goes on to say that the king found out about the magical bones and greedily prayed to them for jewels and wealth until the magic ran out. And then there was some kind of like revolt. And so the the king tried to, I, I don't know, it was messy and did not fully little, explain what happened to Yeshen anyway. Right. Yeah. So again, there's lots of different variations of this one too, but I think that what we would think of as the Cinderella elements are also present in this story. Mm-hmm. It's very, very clearly Cinderella. Yes, exactly. Vasilisa, on the other hand. <laughs> Vasilisa was first written down in the mid-1800s by a man whose name I'm about to totally butcher. Alexander, got that part. Afanasyev. I don't know. But he was modeling his kind of style off of the Grimm's specifically. And so he went around collecting Russian fairy tales and folk tales. And Vasilisa the Beautiful was one of them. And it is very loosely tied to Very loosely. Like the biggest Cinderella connections are that she marries a czar in the end. She has a magical friend that is from her mother who helps her. And mm-hmm. she has a horrible step family. Yes. And that's those are really the elements that tie this to Cinderella. The actual events of the story do not tie this to Cinderella. There's no party. There's no lost shoe. Um, there is that question of identity. She ends up making a shirt. Yeah, the shirt is pretty close to the shoe. It's just not lost at a festival or a ball or anything. Yeah, she just makes this shirt to like earn some money and they're like this is good enough to go to the czar and the czar is like this is a really great shirt i wonder who made it i should marry them but also like that whole part of the story could be an entirely separate story from everything else like vasilisa goes through this whole thing where like her step family is abusing her and so they send her to baba yaga for fire and she ends up working for Baba in Yaga. An attempt, yeah. Well, actually, there are the the reason the stepmother sends her into the forest for fire is to get her killed by Baba Yaga. Yeah. She doesn't want to deal with her anymore, so she's like, "Go fetch fire from the witch," and the magic doll helps her survive Baba Yaga's trials. Yeah, but even Baba Yaga's tasks. One of them is that she has to like separate these seeds, and the doll summons birds to do the task for her. Which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, there's there's similarities. Like I think there's mm-hmm. a reason why this often gets referred to as a Russian version of Cinderella. I don't think it's as neat as some of the other ones. I think it strays a little bit further. Yeah. It's remarkable how much removing the ball from the story makes it feel not like Cinderella. Yeah. Yeah. But I suggested doing this one and I apologize to all of our patrons. Um, I didn't take notes on this story. I started to and then I was like, this is so long. And it was like half an hour till we were recording. So I didn't worry about it. 
Um, but the reason why I suggested this one is because I'm pretty sure we talked about this last time, but you and I were both in a play version of Vasilisa the Brave, Vasilisa the Beautiful. You know, that's so um, funny you said that because I Googled Vasilisa the Brave at first and then Google was like, do you mean beautiful? Like, I think she's there are brave? versions. <laughs> she is brave. She like She's very brave. Yes. Fights Baba Yaga kind of. But this was part of a longer play called Cinderella, the world's favorite fairy tale, which told three different cultural variations of Cinderella. And you and I were both in this play and we were both in the Russian version. I played the stepmother. Yes. And I played the czar. You were in it for all of, we were both seconds. in it for all of eight seconds. You because, were in like, it. You had to have been in it more than I was because I, I think I had two lines. I think I came in, mm-hmm. said one, maybe two lines, and that was it. Yes. The czar does very little at the end, and the stepmother does barely more at the beginning. Yeah. Like, yeah. I had more than two lines, but I was still not in very much of... Because <laughs> and your dad directed it. I, what the I heck? Know. He couldn't well, have given you a bigger role? I was talking to somebody at work about this, actually, um, about being in dad's shows. And I very rarely got big parts in my dad's shows. Largely because, like, I always prioritized doing Daphne's shows over doing dad's shows. And mm. so I usually got put in dad's shows when he's like, hey, I'm worried not enough people are going to audition for this. Will you come audition for it? Gotcha. And so he would kind of, like, plug me wherever he needed me in kind of the background, which was fine. And I ended up doing a lot of, like, backstage work for him. But I was just talking to somebody at work about that because it's was, like, thinking back to – the shows of dads that I was in, and I did always have like really small parts. There was <laughs> there was not nepotism going on on that stage. <laughs> no, no. I mean, that's really all we have to say about those versions of yeah. Cinderella. I know what you're all really here for is to find out which retellings of Cinderella we are going to look at this month. Yeah. And we're excited about these. We are going to start with a version that... I know everybody is very eager to hear our opinions on. You're dying that to is, know what we think about it. Yes, yes. Amazon's Cinderella starring Camila Cabello from last year, I think. Yeah, I have not watched this yet. I have been dreading watching this. Um, I have to watch this tonight. I watched it. When it came out, because I was like, you know what, I, I'm going to have to see it sooner or later. Might as well check this thing out. And here's what I will say is I think you and I are going to laugh a lot as we talk about it. I do not have high expectations. No, keep them low. <laughs> I, I will keep them low. I'm, I'm going to go in and hope to be just amused. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Second up, we are going to read, of course, of course, we're going to read. Yes. Megan Morrison's yes. time book. That is Cinderella, Disenchanted. I don't care how loosely it's based on Cinderella. We're going to read it and we're going to talk about it because if you know anything about us, you should know that we love Megan Morrison. Sadly, this will be the last Megan Morrison <gasps> book for us to talk about until we until get those we're successful other three in our books campaign greenlit. to get the last three published. Come on. Come on. We can do it. We can do it. So we will be reading Disenchanted, The Trials of Cinderella. That's right. And then our third retelling for the month was voted on by our patrons. And they chose Cinderella is Dead by Callan Bayron. Now, this is more of a sequel than a retelling. However, 
the elements of Cinderella are included in many different ways, because as the title implies, this takes place long after the story has concluded. So um, I've read this book before. I'm really interested to hear what you are going to think about it. I just bought it at the bookstore. Yeah, that's because right. I knew that this month was coming up. Then we're going to read Bound by Donna Jo Napoli, which is taken from the Chinese Cinderella. So we talked last time about how everybody retells Perot. Sometimes people retell Grimm. But those are really the only two variations of Cinderella that get retold. There are a couple notable exceptions, and this is one of them. So Bound by Donna Jo Napoli takes its inspiration from this Chinese version of Cinderella. Right, which is why we wanted to talk about it. Then we are going to be concluding the month because it's a five-week month, so we get five, and we're going to be ending the month with a Cinderella story starring Hilary Duff. And Chad Michael Murray, which I unironically love. Listen, there are like 500 A Cinderella Story spinoffs. We're not doing those, okay? We are only doing the no. Hillary Duff one. We're doing this one. Yeah. We're doing the OG. The OG Cinderella Anonymous Pen Pal Story. That's right. That's right. That's what we're doing. So that is what Cinderella Month looks like. We hope that you watch and listen along. Amazon Cinderella is obviously available on, what's their platform called? I forget. Prime. So if you want to check that out, please do before Wednesday's episode. Yeah, we are primarily keeping the same criteria that we had the first time around. So we want to give Cinderella control of her own destiny. That's our first criteria. We want to enhance the role of the prince. That's our second criteria. And then for our third criteria, we mentioned in our last wrap up of Cinderella that there was an element we wanted to look at if we ever returned to Cinderella. Mm-hmm. We had a couple thoughts on villains. And so this third criteria kind of encompasses the villains. So we would like you to develop the stepmother, which we saw with Angelica Houston and Kate Blanchett. We were seeing that pattern. So we wanted to continue to track that. And then we also want to track whether an external villain besides the stepmother is added to the story. So we have Carrie Elwes's character in Ella Enchanted, and we have Pierre Le Pew in Ever After, we were seeing this external villain pop up a lot. So we want to continue to check in and see if that is added. And then we want to check out the stepsisters because we were seeing that more often than not, one of the stepsisters was evil and one was kind. So we want to check in, is one of the stepsisters nice? And of course, our last criteria is to address these plot questions that are always brought up with Cinderella, like why did Cinderella's father let her be treated so badly? Why doesn't she fight her servitude? Why are the slippers made of glass? Things like that. Those like pseudo-edgy questions that everybody always asks when they pick (laughs) this story apart on like Tumblr. You know, that sort of thing. Right. So that is how we will be looking at these stories on Cinderella Part 2. And we are excited to have you along for the ride this time around. If you would like to support our podcast, you can do that in a variety of different ways. If you're able to support us financially, we do have a Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com slash of slippers and spindles. If you're not able to support us financially, that's fine. We hang out in other places too. (laughs) You can join our Facebook group of slippers and spindles. We have lots of fun there. And we've got a wonderful Instagram account of slippers and spindles. And you can always send us an email out of slippers and spindles at gmail.com. 
We love emails. We love emails. We got one today. <laughs> yes, we did. Yes, we did. And of course, if you'd like to help us out for free, you can do that by making sure you are subscribed to Of Slippers and Spindles. You can tell a friend about us and you can leave a five-star review in Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And we have not quite announced this yet, but be sure to tune in on Wednesday because we have a big announcement coming regarding all of that. So get excited. Absolutely. Get excited. And <laughs> yeah. I, it's we haven't recorded anything in like two weeks after recording like four episodes <laughs> in ten days. I've forgotten how these end. How do we end these? I end them. I end them. And I did it to you again where I accidentally threw it to you. And I'm the one who usually <laughs> says, thank you all so much for listening. We will see you on Wednesday. Bye, friends. Bye. <laughs>